Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Let's turn in our Bible to the book of Luke, chapter number 22 tonight. Luke chapter number 22. And uh, we realize that there's a schedule we're trying to keep, and so we want to be mindful of the time and then still try to be good stewards of the word while we are. And so we're in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter number 22. And I'm going to start reading in verse number 24, but what I'm really going to do is I, as I walk through, I'm going to kind of uh, make a few comments and take you through the verses and introduce what's going on here in the text, okay? So we're in Luke 22, and first of all, understand this, that before we get to verse 24, which is really where our, our story starts or where, where what we want to cover starts, there's a little bit of a crazy string of events going on. They had just had communion. If you were to look back up in verses 14 through 22, you'll see that they have had communion. So that means that uh, their, their, their hearts should be clean, right? And they should be close to God. I mean, they're just taking place or they just have had taken the Lord's Supper there. It's such an intimate experience. But at the end of the communion, they are told that there is a betrayer among them. It's when Jesus reveals that there's one of you that will betray me. So he kind of, you know, he pulls the covers back on Judas again. And uh, that starts causing some uneasiness among the disciples. Matter of fact, a little bit of introspection. They start looking in their own hearts and saying, is it I? Is it I? Uh, things like that, right? And, and so, so quickly after that, it turns from that into an argument over their future rights. I mean, they're, they're, those guys had to be Baptists, right? We just had communion. I got some bad news and now we're going to fight about it, all right? So look in verse number 24, the Bible says this right here. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. I mean, it kind of already sounds like a marriage, right? I'm hardly home from the honeymoon and the waters get stirred, right? And a communion with God, boom, all right, hey, who's the greatest? Who's going to be running this show around here? Who is the greatest, right? So Jesus jumps in in verse 25 and he starts giving some perspective to the situation. Watch what he says. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, right? And so here's what we know. The benefactor in the Gentile world would have been the one in charge. It would have been the one that dominated the relationship. But notice in verse 26 what Jesus says. How it is with them is not how it's supposed to be with his people. He said, but ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does serve. So Jesus said, if you want to know who's the greatest in this group, because that's what y'all are arguing about, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? He said, he said, I want you to know, it's not the one who serves or right now among you seems to be the benefactor. Oh, no, it's the one that serves, okay? In our marriages, we would call the better of the two what? The better half. Do y'all talk, do y'all say that up here? Y'all do, the better half, that's my better half. That's why I introduced my wife, everywhere we go. That's my better half. That is the best half of our marriage. That's her, right? So Jesus says, if you want to know who the best is in this thing of being a Christian, following my example, and even who's going to be the best in the kingdom of God, it would be the one, not the one that dominates, but the one that serves, okay? So here's the question tonight. In your marriage relationship, are you the benefactor or are you the better half? The better half is the one that serves. The benefactor is the one that dominates. Now, let me say this. In our marriages, we don't even need a benefactor. What we really need in our marriages, if we're going to pull the most out of Christ's teachings and follow the text, is this right here. We need two better halves. 
Because two better halves will give you a marriage that is whole. And so that's what I want to spend a few minutes tonight talking about uh, from the text this evening. Are you the benefactor or are you the better half? If you are the benefactor, hopefully by the end of this, you'll realize that being a benefactor is not what the Lord needs me or wants me to be. If I'll be a better half and my, my other half will be a better half, then we have a marriage that will be whole which is exactly what God intended for it to be. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather again with your people here at this dear church. I pray, uh, God, as we spend the next uh, few sessions together tonight and tomorrow, that you'll bless them with your presence. I ask you to open our understanding of the Word of God. We desperately, Lord, want to hear what you have to say. And so I pray you would speak to us from the text. I ask you to help our marriages, Lord. Uh, each and every uh, home represented tonight are here by their own free will. And God, tonight we really want to get closer to you because we know ultimately if we get close to you, our marriages will no doubt be better and they'll be stronger. That's our desire. Bless the church, bless the pastor in his desire for this conference and we will thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in introduction tonight. I really want to dive right into what's going on in these about four or five verses that we covered here in piecemeal. The first thing I want you to look at in verse 24 is what we have entitled the battle. Notice the Bible says, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Now, as I stated earlier, this is on the hills of communion. That just simply means that they had been in a time of intimacy with the Lord. And can I say that on the hills of intimacy, you can have adversity. That's exactly what is taking place here. They had no more than just barely finished Uh, having communion, and all of a sudden they're in a disagreement one uh, with the other. So there's strife among the disciples. Now remember this about the strife. These are men who loved God and legitimately loved each other. They did. So that means this, that you can be a Christian in love with God, and you can love your spouse, and you're still going to have times and seasons of adversity uh, in your marriages. By the way, can I say this tonight? Uh, People don't fall out of love. We do hear that talked about in our society. But the reality is this right here. We don't fall out of love because love is actually more than a feeling. We may fall out of the feeling of love. There's probably some good reasons behind that. Here's what happens, though, in our relationships. Along the way, we face adversity. Maybe strife comes into our relationship. And it's either handled by one or both parties like a benefactor. In other words, uh, they want to dominate the relationship. We, we are actually naturally a little selfish. It's part of the sin nature. And so we come to our marriages uh, a lot of times in that way. And what we want to do is we want to dominate the marriage. We really, you can call it dominate. You may even add a little bit of manipulation involved there uh, to where what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to get that thing set up to where it really pleases and serves you well. And so a lot of marriages uh, spend many years in somewhat of a tug and war back and forth, trying to figure out who's going to dominate and, and who's not. Can I say this, though? Whenever that happens, what we do is sometimes without even realizing it, we wound each other. Because whenever there is adversity in your relationship and whenever there are issues that need to be talked about and they need to be worked through, if one individual could care less about the well-being or how the other party feels, they just want to dominate it, they want want it to work out to where it pleases or suits them the best, then that really, uh, I guess you could say, makes the other person feel like their worth isn't very much at all. And so there is a problem there. That's where the strife comes from. And can I say that when we do that to each other, we wound each other. And over time, those wounds, if we're not careful, they'll pile up and then bitterness will set in and we end up with an arrangement 
instead of a happy marriage. That's not how God intended it. God expected and or intended if we would follow the directions of the way He designed and what His will is for marriage, they actually can be enjoyed. I know that's kind of like an aha moment. And uh, I, I say this sometimes when preaching or teaching these marriage conferences. I believe one of the greatest witnessing tools we should have for the world is the health of our marriages. Uh, I wish I could say that the, the marriage success rate was high, as high in the, in the church uh, as it is out in society, but it's not. But we can change that. We can, we can find out what God said about it, and we can set some examples and, and hopefully let our marriages have the spiritual health in them to where whenever people look at our marriages, we want them to say, man, y'all have something that's unique. You have some, how did you get that? And we can say, our Lord give it to us, right? We can point back at our Bible, not at ourselves. We're not going to lecture and write no books or nothing like that. We can say, I tell you everything I got, Jesus gave to me by just learning from his word and following the examples that he set therein. So again, I want to reiterate tonight, we don't fall out of love. It's just that what caused us to love each other, things like respect, things like compassion, being considerate of each other, it gets wounded and not fixed. And over time, that, start, that starts messing with your affection. It starts messing with how you feel. The way we treat each other is how we perceive our value in another person's eyes. And so it does, over time, get, get to us. Now, can I say this tonight? In many marriages, listen to me closely, uh, people would have never gotten their spouse to the altar if they gave them after they got married. If they would have gave them what they got after they got married, if they would have been giving them that before, a lot of times they would have never even made it to the altar. It's somewhat like false advertising, right? I'm going to treat you like this, going to talk to you like this, going to give you this much value and estimate. You know, when we're, whenever we're dating or whatever before we get married, uh, we always want to be together. We can't wait to see each other. And we're, you know, we're, you know, we're, not, we're exchanging pleasantries and we're writing love letters, this, that, and the other. And then we get married like, ah, you know, life goes on. That's not the way the Lord intended it. And, and so we have this, this battle going on in the text. And then you see next in verse 25, uh, there shows up this word that's not in the Bible a lot. It's called a benefactor. Jesus said this unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called, and he uses that term, benefactor. Now, earlier we talked about the function of a benefactor, how that it would dominate somebody. But for a moment, I want to talk about what I call the facade of the benefactor. Know no, no, no this, that the word benefactor, and this is going to be amazing if you don't already know this, by definition it means philanthropist. Now you and I know that a philanthropist is somebody who is interested in doing good to and doing good for other people. A philanthropist is somebody usually that uh, has been blessed with wealth and they take that wealth and they put it to action to help people uh, in different kinds of forms and fashions. So in context, listen to me closely tonight. The benefactor who is dominating the relationship in the Gentile world, they actually think that what they're doing is best for the people they're dominating. So in a marriage, here's what happens. One person who doesn't esteem their spouse maybe with the value that they should think, well, I'm going to do what's best for you, and so I'm going to dominate you in our marriage or in our relationship, and I'm going to make the decisions. And it's almost like they treat you like you have no mental capacity. You, 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 you're not able to think for yourself. You're, you, know, you don't know what we need, but I know. And so that person begins to dominate the other person. And, you know, honestly, it would be a total disregard for the individual that was being dominated, as a matter of fact. Uh, that really would would really minimize their value in their own eyes, in their own estimation. I mean, if you ask the subject, does this arrangement fit you or does it fit the benefactor? Well, it always benefits the benefactor. 
the one doing all the dominating and things like that. And so uh, I can say this right here. I can say that most likely tonight that is probably one of the base causes of marital strife. When you start doing things in the relationship that benefit you and not us. When you think about uh, the way the Lord intended marriage to be, it can't be about me. It's got to be about what's best for us as a unit. And so basically, in a nutshell, it's choosing the road of selflessness or excuse me, as a benefactor, the road of selfishness over the path of service. And that causes a lot of issues uh, in the marriage. So we see the, the battle in verse 24, the benefactor in verse 25. But then in verse 26, we move to the heart and the meat of Christ's lesson uh, right here with the disciples. It's what we call the being the better half. And he says in verse 26, he said, but ye shall not be so. In other words, he's just saying this, this is not the way I intend for it to be with my people. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. So here's the question tonight. We know in the text that the benefactor is not what God wants from his people in our relationships, but the better half is. So the question tonight is this, what makes the better half the better half? Well, in what Jesus said in verse 26, it's very simple. It is choosing to serve instead of choosing to strive. He said, that's exactly what I want among you. You're my disciples. And it's going to really get intimate here in just a minute. He's getting ready to tell them why he's asking that of them. But can I say that, that that's what Christ is trying to get, get across. Uh, whenever we are so self-absorbed that we want to dominate each other, we're missing the pathway to greatness. There's not a marriage in here tonight, and, and I don't know hardly anything about any of you at all, but there is not a marriage in here tonight that is experiencing the happiness and bliss that God intended it to that does not have both parties acting like the better half. If in your marriage you have a benefactor, a dominator, and this may be an aha moment for the benefactor. When you learn, when you thought all these years I've been dominating this thing and I'm the one the reason we're being successful, your partner may have suffered in silence, but they're still suffering. And sometimes whenever I say that in a meeting like this, somebody indelibly, if a marriage has a benefactor, they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, I've done so well, and, and if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't even still be here, and this, that, and the other. Have you ever stopped and asked your spouse how well you were doing? And Christ said, I'm telling you, as far as my disciples, he said, the pathway to greatness is not through domination, but it's about through being humble enough to serve. And I said this last night. I'll reiterate it again in this evening's session. We have got to learn that greatness is achieved in our marriages when we stop taking and demanding from the relationship and start giving to it. Start feeding it with an attitude of servitude. It's not about me anymore, but it's about you. What, what does, here's one of the greatest things you can ever do for your spouse and for the health of your marriage. It is to sit down with your spouse, not, not wanting or needing to say anything, but ready to listen. And you ask your spouse this question. What does a happy, healthy marriage look like to you? What do you need from me? to fulfill the needs that you have. Because what you're going to learn when you start asking those types of questions is you're going to learn a great principle about us as people. We are made differently. Uh, the world tries to explain that phenomenon with books like, I think it's, what is it, women are from Venus and men from Mars or vice versa on the planets, but basically saying we're from different worlds. And if you really study how God made us up, the, the way our brains function, the way the chemicals of our body causes reaction in our thinking and all that stuff, we really are very different. 
However, that, that difference does not have to be a, 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 a roadblock to happiness. As a matter of fact, I believe there's a greater spiritual principle that God uses marriage for that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. He addresses this issue of how we obtain greatness and how we experience what he intended for us over in the book of Romans chapter 12. In verses 9 and 10, here's what the Lord had said. He said, let love be without dissimulation, meaning let love be sincere. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And then he says this in verse 10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, and here's the phrase, preferring one another. In other words, he's telling that to the Christians in the church there at Rome. And if you know much about the book of Romans, I mean, they had a ton of diversity in that church. You've got Jews saved out of Judaism. You've got Gentiles that have been saved. Paul was trying to help, you know, both sides understand where the other one was coming from and keep them from killing each other and try to be unified around the cause of Christ all in the same. And he says, I'm going to tell you how you'll get there. You've got to learn to prefer one another. And that just simply means this. You've got to learn how to put others above yourself. And in our marriages, listen to me tonight, that is exactly where, where the road to success starts. When you and I get to the place where our spouse is our concern as far as their happiness above our own. Now, I know that doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound, you know, like something that's going to ultimately be gratifying to us. And in our flesh, it's not. But as I said on yesterday evening, if you have two people doing that in a marriage, everybody's winning. And everybody's winning big. However, it's, it's something you rarely find even in today's Christian culture and society. And that is extremely, extremely sad. See, our problem with the verse there in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, is that we see, we see it in a church context, that verse, and we see it in the relationship with Christ and, and, and the body, but we should always first apply it to our marriage. Because marriage is a unique relationship, if you think about it. If, if we're married to another believer, well, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're also one in, in the Lord, and there's, it's very multifaceted. So any verse that tells me how I should treat the body of Christ the people of God applies doubly for my spouse because they serve both of those roles. As a matter of fact, I, I may get in a little bit of trouble here, but I have been in trouble before once or twice. I got out most of the time. If you want a biblical in indicator tonight of your Christ-likeness and your spirituality, can I tell you where you find it at if you're married in the quality of your marriage? If you want to know tonight how spiritual you are and how Christ-like you are, it's in the quality of our marriages. Now, let me preface that with this, okay? Let me tell you why I say that for tonight. It does not mean that, that you are not spiritual if everything doesn't work out right for you, okay? What it means is this, is that in the case of me and my wife tonight, she's a professing believer, I'm a professing believer. If we're following Christ and applying his principles to our marriage, it shouldn't be unhealthy. Now, if I choose not to and she does, well, then she's doing her part and I'm failing miserably at mine. And so our marriage will not be all it could be, but it won't be her fault, it'll be my fault. You see what I'm saying? It returns the responsibility back on you as the individual. I'll get to that in the, in the, the third session tonight eventually, but I want to say this right here. According to Ephesians 5, you and I know this, that our marital relationships are supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. That's what God said that he wanted them to represent to the world, right? And so it's going to be hard for me to, it should be hard for me to convince you tonight 
that I walk with God and that I'm close to God if I mistreat her. You, sh- you, you shouldn't buy that. In other words, tonight you said, well, you're, you're speaking at the marriage conference. You know, surely, you know, you, you shouldn't be. And I, and, and I hope that I'm doing my job. But tonight, if you really want to know my spirituality, don't ask my preacher friends. Don't even ask my children. Go ask my wife. Go ask my wife, say, how, how does he treat you? Does he respect you? Does he listen when you talk? Does he even care? You say, hang on a minute. You keep talking about this listening when somebody talks thing. How, do you, how does Christ in the church, well, when you pray, what do you think God does? He listens when we talk. He cares about the intimate desires of our heart. And if he was a benefactor or if he ruled us like a, a, an authoritarian, when we went to talk, he'd say, hey, you stop that right now. Let me tell you what you need to hear. That's not how he treats us, is it? If you want to talk to the Lord, you have access because of your salvation. He says, come. I want to hear what you have to say. Talk to me. And can I say this tonight? That's exactly the way our spouses should feel as well. Tonight, your spouse, if asked, if you needed to share with your mate a concern, an issue, something that you felt like your marriage needed work on, would they hear you? The answer we all want and need is for there to be an emphatic yes. Can I say this? Our marriages will never be any stronger than the constructive criticism it handles. I know it's getting quiet, but we're getting help. Okay? In other words, and my wife, is, I'll give you an example of how this happened, has happened to me before. Early in our marriage, um, uh, I was, um, I guess you could say I was obsessive about providing for my family. Most, most of us guys, a lot of guys can relate to that. You want to you provide. You want to make sure there's uh, money to pay the bills and to take care of the groceries. And you really want to provide, especially if you took them from a stable environment. And you're like, man, I, if I took them out of that home and we fall on our face, I'm going I'm to feel like a real dunce here, right? And so you want to provide for your family, okay? And uh, so we get married, you know, and I'm working 60, 65, 70 hours a week. And, and uh, just, I mean, I'm in my early 20s, and so it's no big deal. We just, we don't sleep much. We work all the time. We try to pay bills and start raising children. Well, I thought because I worked hard all week that that meant when I finally got off on Friday, you know, about this time of year, it's about 3.30, 4 o'clock, I'll run home and run in the house and grab the golf clubs and kiss my wife on the cheek, and I'm, I'm out the door, man. I mean, I've done my time. I've been in prison all week. It's time to be free at the golf course for a while, right? Until one day on a Friday I go to do that, and my wife says, um, I just want you to know we hadn't seen you all week. And that like let all the wind out of my sail. Because <laughs> I mean, I already saw myself on the tee box, right? I mean, teeing it up high and getting ready to, I'm talking about let it fly. But when she said that, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. This thing of being married is not just about me working and providing finances here. It's, it's, it's also seeing that if what she needs when I get done with those 65 or 70 hours a week is some conversation and some time where Maybe I spent a little more time with the kids and her just being in the house, you know, because when you're going working, you're not in the house. And so just being around was what she needed. So the golf clubs got put in the closet because that's where they needed to be during that season because I wanted a happy home. <laughs> right. And so you had to learn to listen. So many times our, our spouses are telling us areas that need work. But every time they try, they keep getting cut off and shut down. And we kick that can down the road and we argue back and it, comes, it becomes a tug of war. Oh, well, you're going to bring out this about me. Well, let me tell you where you're failing me. And, and instead of heading to a place of health and prosperity, it, just, it leads to another battle. 
And over time, that wears on us and things like that. And I think about when it comes to preferring one another. Do you remember when, when John the Baptist was on the scene in John chapter number 1? And, and he's gaining this popularity. And, and, he, and, and the Bible says this. Um, his disciples had begun to kind of build him up some. And in John 1, 26, here was his answer to them building him up. He said, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. In the middle of John's prosperity or his popularity rising, here's what he said to his disciples. He said, it ain't about me, it's about him. He, he preferred the Lord Jesus over himself. And in our relationships, when you and I get to the place where as you live your life, as you try to uh, do life together, if that's, that's a lot of times when we're talking about marriage, it's what we talk about. When you're, when you're doing it that way, whenever your first thought in your mind is, what I'm getting ready to do, how's it going to affect them? What I'm getting ready to say, how's it going to affect them? Whenever they speak to me about what's in their heart that needs to change, how would they be received? That's, that's where how you know whether or not you're preferring your spouse or whether you're just preferring yourself. And by the way, can I say this? When we get there, that's when that tug of war stops in our marriages. That's when the fighting stops. That's when the frustration stops. That's when the misunderstanding stops. When your spouse knows that you care more about their happiness and well-being than you do your own, to the place where when you come to them and you say, we need to talk, that they're going to sit down, not be defensive, just listen. See, that's the heart of, that's the heart of the better half. The better half isn't worried about benefacting or dominating the relationship. It ain't about them. It's about you. And it's really hard not to love somebody that feels that way about you that makes you feel that way, somebody who treats you with that kind of respect and care. And, uh, you know, I say that tonight, and some people are going to be like, yes, that is exactly what my spouse needs to do. If my spouse would do what you're saying tonight, preacher, it would be great. But we're not talking about your spouse doing it. We're talking about you doing it, right? Tonight is not about, it's not about me arm wrestling or, you know, uh, you know, getting your spouse to agree with this and submit to it. Not tonight. It's about me getting to the place where I want to be the better half in my marriage and not the benefactor. We move in verse 27 to the biblical principle. And I want to show you this. This is very important tonight. Verse 27, here's what the Lord Jesus continues to say. He says, for whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Now stop and think about that for a moment. He said, now who's the greatest? The one sitting or the one serving? Now, tonight, in our meal, we served ourselves. But it would be very natural to assume the one sitting was better than the ones serving. You go to a restaurant, you, we don't think in that terminology, but, you know, you could think in that terminology. But Jesus comes right out of the gate and says this. Is not he that sitteth at me? He, asked another, he said, no, so I, he's, he knows how they reason. He said, so I'm asking you a question. Who, who's better? One sits or one serves? Is not the one sitting better? Then he answers the question. He said, but I am among you as he that serveth. I mean, you got to think we're on the heels of him literally taking a towel and a basin of water and washing the disciples' feet. He's already set the example. Before he ever gave the sermon, he lived it in front of them. And can I say this tonight? That the more I follow Jesus and the closer I get to the Lord and the more I am conformed into his image, the more serving will not bother me. In my relationship, in my church, in my community, anywhere I am, being a servant is being Christ-like. And that's the biblical principle involved here. And can I say this tonight? In your relationship, the better half is the one that serves. However, in our relationships, 
We don't have to always have a better half and a benefactor. We can have two better halves. And that's whenever you're really striking gold in your marriage. Being the better half is being like Jesus. Now, you ready to dive off in the deeper part of the message tonight? Do you remember the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 15 and 16? The Bible says this. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, listen to me now, he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. So, the Lord teaches us that to be like him is to be what? To be holy, okay? So if God is holy in all of his attitudes and actions, and so a call to follow him and serve is part of our holiness. One of the most godlike things you'll ever do is to learn how to serve. Not be served, but to be the one served. Or be the one serving, excuse me. Now with that in mind, let, let me ask you this question. What would happen if we looked at our marriages in this way? That it's not a platform as much for my happiness as it is for my holiness. In other words, getting married was voluntary. and I don't believe y'all have shotgun weddings up here. We don't have them back home anymore, I don't think. But So that means that I signed up for this. I mean, I literally said I'm voluntarily going to make a commitment and a pledge here that I will love and honor and esteem and be faithful to my wife. Now, if I did that, signed up voluntarily, now listen to the wisdom of God in this. He takes the man and the woman. They oftentimes have many things about them that are opposite or different. If they sign up for this thing called matrimony or marriage, then that naturally creates a platform for them to have to either serve or be served. So if being Christ-like in the text, if he said the one that serves is like me, then our marriages instead of, and that's where a lot of people miss it at. They're like, well, I'm just not happy right now. Why are you not happy? Are you not happy because you can't be a benefactor? Because all the areas you want to dominate in, that your spouse is not reciprocating and doing what you want them to do? Because if you flip the script and start looking at it like, hang on a second, stop, stop, stop. I'm going about this all wrong. My marriage is not designed for me to dominate. My marriage is designed for me to be like Jesus. I'm supposed to be serving my spouse. You've heard the old saying before, you can get a lot more flies with honey than you can vinegar, right? And so many times in our marriages, the reason we have so many years of vinegar and not a lot of years of honey. Is that why the honeymoon ends after a week usually? And the vinegar sets in? Because a lot of times whenever we get back from that honeymoon and normal life starts, what life's going to be like for the next X many years, we start wanting to dominate and demand instead of looking at it like, you know what? That's not my role. My role here is to serve and see to the happiness of my spouse. So can I say this this evening that in our marriages, if happiness is absent, it's because holiness is absent. In other words, tonight, in our marriages, if we're missing happiness, it's because we're missing holiness. We're missing that Christ-like element of saying, you know what? I'm not going to be about me. I'm going to be about you. What do you need? What are you looking for? Because here's the thing. When we got married, we all kind of come to this thing with selfish reasons and desires, right? There's whatever reasons. If you were to list tonight, you know, whenever it come time to get married, I was looking for this, 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 and this, and I wanted it to produce this, 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 and this. We had this idea. And then we get into it and we start reading the Bible and we're like, well, hang on a second. My ideas were wrong. 
I thought I was getting in this thing and I was looking at it from the angle of what I was going to get. But God designed it for me to get involved on the basis of what I could give. And again, I reiterate this. If you are married to a reasonable person who loves Jesus and you love Jesus, then you're going to be working together to get to that pinnacle of Christ-likeness together where both of you are serving each other. That's why the Lord tells you and I not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Because can I say this tonight? This is the roadmap and the manual to the happiness in marriage that he wanted us to have. It was never, in, it was never created to be endured. It was actually created to be enjoyed. That's what God designed marriage to be. And here's the beautiful thing about it, indelibly, and this is a sad story, but indelibly in meetings like this, there's usually at least one person that says, I don't care what you say from that Bible, I am not changing. Well, just know this, that that will not affect my happiness. <laughs> not at all. It's, it'll, be, it'll only affect your happiness. And, and because of the liberty that we have in Christ, you're at liberty to be miserable. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but you can, you got liberty to be miserable if you so choose. Or you can say this, you know what? If Jesus said the greatest among the disciples are not the benefactors, but the ones who serve the better halves, well, then part of my Christian responsibility is to be like Jesus. And why should we choose to fight? We can instead choose to have happiness and harmony, and unity, and everything that God wants for us. So, if we pull back the veil tonight and we really look at what God says about the subject of marriage, we would find this right here. We've got to look past our personal happiness, and we've got to start looking at practical holiness. How do I live out being Christ-like in my marriage? It's by being a servant. So here's the question tonight, and I'll be finished a few minutes early. In your marriage this evening, are you a better half or are you a benefactor? You say, well, I'm still not sure about this benefactor stuff. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you the centerpiece of your family to the place where the family only is happy if you're happy? Everything revolves around you. Or are you one of however many are in the home? And when it comes to seeking or pursuing happiness, the first question is not, is it going to make me happy? question is towards your spouse, what is it going to take or help for you to be happy? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.